women cold and the bullets fly thick. I am the Deputy Stu Kaufman. And I'm waiting for the noon train, Amy McLeod. And I am letting horses out of a burning barn. My name is Melissa Huggins. And tonight we watched, from 1952, High Noon. Directed by Fred Zinneman and starring Gary Cooper, Grace Kelly, Thomas Mitchell, and a clock. (laughs) Several clocks. Several clocks. And (laughs) holy shit, this ruled. Yes. Um, Am I I correct? I'm the only one that's seen it before? I believe so. I had not seen it before. I think it's one of those ones that gets referenced a lot. But I had never actually seen it. If you know somebody who likes film noir, but has not really gotten into westerns, this is a good bridge. Yes. Agreed. It's a gateway western. It's got, (laughs) you know, high contrast, black and white visuals, a simple plot, tension, sweat. (laughs) So much sweat. And that's what we like to see in Westerns. There's too many Westerns where everybody's all clean and shiny, and this one was full of dirt and grime and sweat. Mm -hmm. We're here for it. And tension. Oh, my God. Yes. And I I think that that the the tension and the dirt and sweat uh, really showed in, like, Gary Cooper's outfits or outfit and just his his whole deconstruction through the movie. Mm-hmm. So good. Before we dive too far into it, Amy, you want to tell us what happened in this here picture show? Oh, would I? <laughs> <laughs> this was a good one. So we open, as most Westerns do, on the uh, <laughs> on a young Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was. So you you cannot understand how happy I was to see uh I called him Lad Van Cleef because he was <laughs> but a but a boy a a very young Lee Van Cleef looking his Lee Van Cleefiest uh super cool cowboy guy but you know there's this wonderful intro where they play the the theme for the movie and that's all you hear there's no other sound as you see these cowboys meet up for some nefarious purpose. Because uh, they seem like bad dudes based on the sour facial expressions. The baddest of um, dudes. Oh, absolutely. But then we jump to a wedding. There is a wedding going on in town between uh, Will Kane, the, the former marshal, or soon-to-be former marshal, and uh, Amy Fowler, played by Grace Kelly, and I, Will Kane, played by Gary Cooper. Did anybody else find the age difference a little odd? Yeah. A little. Yeah. I was like, I mean, I feel like you see it a lot. It's like, it's always some very young actress with an older actor. But this one, I was like, you, you went a, a little hair too much in either direction, in both directions. I feel like with the acting, it's forgivable. I would also say they dressed her young. Yeah. Yes. Like she, she looked like a like a china doll. Yeah, they. She is very, and I mean, I guess it is her wedding day, so she is wearing like white, and she is meant to look very innocent. I think to contrast, uh, we'll meet Helen Ramirez later. I stand her. I love her. 
I mean, I will also say I also stand Grace Kelly oh, in this yeah. movie too. Yes. Yeah. For different reasons. Her but... Highness oh. Princess Grace. Princess Grace oh. Kelly. Um, mm-hmm. So they're getting married and it's all good times. Uh, and then after they get married, he is going to give up being the marshal because um, Amy is a Quaker and doesn't believe in violence. And he promised that after they got married, he'd hang up his badge Turning his gun in his badge and then have a peaceful life running. They said running a store of some kind. So sounds pretty sweet. But then the the telegraph guy at the, the railroad station has a disturbing telegraph that he has to run, sprint into town to give to Will, uh, which is saying that one bad dude, Frank Miller, uh, you know, the comic book guy is coming to town and we... <laughs> And he's out for blood. Um. <laughs> Which every time I hear that, my pop-up's name was Frank Oh, Miller. no. So, so I listened to it and I'm like, this is really <laughs> awkward for me. Did your granddad shoot people? <laughs> I, he was a World War II Did he guy. try to murder Gary Cooper? <laughs> well. I don't think he tried to murder Gary Cooper. No. At least not that he ever told me. Well, since he's a World War II veteran... <laughs> Anybody he killed doesn't matter because they're probably Nazis or imperialists. So good for him. Uh, okay. He was in the ski troops. Ooh. Oh, badass. In the Alps, I think. That's pretty oh, yeah. exciting. Yes. Oh. So anyway. uh, Gary Cooper. <laughs> but he wasn't this Frank Miller, which is important. So Gary Cooper's trying to kill Mel's granddad. Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is an unrelated Frank Miller. <laughs> Frank Miller is trying to kill Will Kane. Because when Will was Marshall, he had locked up Frank for, um, I, I think it was murder. He killed some dudes. I thought it yeah. was and for uh, Sin City 2. <laughs> I mean that. Electric Boogaloo. The second 300 movie. Um, no, I didn't even see that one. Uh, anyway. Uh, so, and he was like, he was supposed to hang for his crime. But he ended up going up north where he was sent to life. He was supposed to get life in prison. But he got a pardon. So now he's out and he's coming back because he's like, as soon as I'm out, I'm going to kill you, Will Kane. So he's coming to make good on his threat. Will's first response is to like, let's get the fuck out of here. I just got married. And my wife is like, let's get the fuck out of here. So they're like racing out of town. And then he's kind of he ends up going back because he's like, I'm never going to be safe until I deal with this guy. And he's a bad dude anyway. So like. I need to deal with this guy. Amy's all like, no, I would rather you not get murdered on our wedding day. Come on. Uh, but, you know, he's got to do that whole, like, I got to do it. So she's like, I mean it. If you won't go with me now, I'll be on that train when it leaves here. I've got to stay. She ends up buying a ticket. Uh, but, of course, it's for the noon train, which is the same train that Frank Miller's coming on. So she's kind of hanging out waiting. Meanwhile... Will is trying to get a posse together to assist him so he's not alone fighting Frank Miller and his three goons. So and his, one of his goons is Lee Van Cleef. So, uh, who doesn't say a word in this movie. Not a word. A waste of a Van Cleef. But he false. looks cool the whole time. <laughs> Objectively false. 
I I am with Stu on this one. I do not think it is a waste of a. Oh, Van he was Cleef. amazing. Like no words, but amazing. Oh. But so, um, Will's got to get some some people to help back him up because I mean, four against one's not so great. <laughs> That's kind of a death sentence. So he gets like one volunteer early on who's like, yeah, okay, let me go get my shit. I'll be back here. Like, go round up the other dudes. You got like 45 minutes. Hurry the fuck up. But he can't get anyone. The deputy is pissed at him because he's not being made marshal. So he quits on him. Um, He goes around to his old friends who are all like, Well, Fuller, Howe, and I are the entire board of selectmen in this community. We're also your very good friends. With the fine job you've done here, I feel free to say, and the judge will bear me out. This town will be safe till tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> They're all like, you should just go, because if you leave, then Frank's probably not going to be a problem. So just leave. You shouldn't have come back, Will. Stupid. Which is a terrible... It's a terrible way to be. It is. Like, that's, like, no. Like, patently no. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> this guy is murdered people. Like, he was going to get the death sentence, and now he's back, and you're just... And everyone's just kind of, like, cool with it. Or not cool with it. Like, I, I feel like they're not super happy about it, but they're kind of like, well, you know, if we just go along with him, maybe he won't torture us too badly. Why must you be so stupid? Mm-hmm. So he really can't get anyone to help him. And it's like, at the end, that one guy comes back and is like, all right, where's the other guys? And he's like, it's it. <laughs> it's you and me, buddy. And then that guy's like, uh, uh, I got a family. I, I got I to gotta go. <laughs> I just live here. I got nothing personal against nobody. I got no stake in this. I guess not. So like, you know, and he's like, if you get anybody else, though, call me. I'll be there, but not if it's just me. You get some of the other fellows, Will, and I'll still go through with it. Go on home, Herb. Um, so it was very much like a sense of, wow, this guy was your marshal for how long? And like, no one is going to help him. Like, none. None people. Uh, Amy ends up meeting up with Helen Ramirez. Helen is, she owns the saloon. They keep calling it the store, but it's the Ramirez saloon. I I think she owns the saloon, and then I think she owns another business that she's a silent partner in. So I think she owns, like, the store, she owns the saloon. That's why at that one point, the one guy shows up and she says, I want you to buy me out. Mrs. Ramirez, I want to thank you for everything. I mean, when you first called me in and put the deal to me about staking me in the store and and being a silent partner... And um, that's what I that's what I think that is, is she's like a silent partner. She's the richest woman Mm. in town. basically. Yeah. And so she yeah, she's kind of introduced as this lady who has some sway and some power in town. Uh, And she's been seeing uh, Harvey, the deputy. um, And apparently she has some kind of history with Will. And it sounded like it ended pretty, pretty bitterly, at least from her point of view like i guess he left or whatever uh broke up with her um and there's like a really bitchy hotel clerk <laughs> where oh, where amy is waiting super punchable mm-hmm. face. oh my god i was like this is the bitchiest guy i've ever <laughs> that, seen. that guy was a ghoul <laughs> like shit we'll talk about him mm-hmm. so amy's waiting in the hotel lobby because she didn't want to wait at the train station because that's where the three goons are hanging out and she was like uh no thanks 
I'll wait somewhere else. And the uh, guy at the hotel, the hotel clerk is like, oh, yeah, because um, Will comes to warn Helen that, like, hey, these bad dudes are coming to town. You should probably leave because apparently she used to also go out with Frank at some point. And it's like, Frank's probably not going to be nice to you when he gets here. So you should leave. And when he goes up to, to talk to her, the hotel clerk's like, Think you can find it all right? Alluding to some shenanigans, like, in front of his wife, which I'm like, good God, man. How petty are you? <laughs> like, Very, Jesus. apparently. Apparently he's the pettiest. Yes. So then Amy gets the wrong idea because she thinks that uh, the reason that Will won't go with her is because he's still in love with Helen. Um, so she goes up to confront Helen is like, just let him go, like, let him go so we can leave. And like, Helen's like, oh, don't you talk to me <laughs> about letting, letting him go. Like he let me go. And if he were my man, I would be getting a gun and freaking shooting the place up. Like what's wrong with you <laughs> that you're letting him go. I hate this town. I always hated it to be a Mexican woman in a town like this. I understand. You do? That's good. I don't understand you. No matter what you say. If Ken was my man, I'd never leave him like this. I'd get a gun. I'd fight. Why don't you? He's not my man. I I loved that speech. Oh, so good. I was like, oh, everything that came out of her mouth oh was just gold. It was amazing. It was just amazing. Those were the best lines. Oh, Helen. Oh, she's the MVP of this movie. Um, but, you know, they kind of resolve their differences a little bit because then it's, you know, she's basically like, look, I'm not. I haven't been seeing your husband in like, I haven't even spoken to him in a year other than this afternoon. So. It's not me, honey. He's got some manly quest he's got to finish. So, uh, But then they decide, well, um, Helen already has decided she's going to leave and she's going to be on the train. So they kind of like hang out together and they both end up getting on the train together right before the gunfight starts. So the train shows up, Frank gets off, meets up with his goons, and then we get uh, some nice shootout action as... Will tries to figure out how he's supposed to accomplish this by himself. And then as soon as Amy hears a gunshot, she like freaking flies off that train. She's like freaking like, oh shit, I didn't know there'd be gunfire. I got to get off this train. She finds, she sees a dead body in the road and is like immediately like, oh my God, it's going to be him. And it's not. So she's kind of like, all right, well, that's one down. <laughs> Let's look around a bit more. Uh, mm -hmm. She ends up hiding out in the sheriff's office, which the which I was like, I, I just I love this because earlier when the deputy quit, he hung up his gun belt on the wall. So you see her in there and she's all like her family members had been killed from guns. So she's very anti-gun and she's like right there next to the gun. And you're remembering Helen's speech about like, I'd grab a gun and I would I would help. What kind of woman are you? How can you leave him like this? the son of guns frighten you that much and she ends up shooting one of the guys in the back because she's like the guy's like up against the the window and she like marks him mm -hmm. stone cold <laughs> murders a man like i'm like i'm like gentlemen you find yourselves gal <laughs> shoot a man in the you back get for your you 
you get yourself mm-hmm. a Grace Kelly. Let me just say. <laughs> That's pretty good. So, mm-hmm. unfortunately, Frank kind of sees this happen and is like, huh, how did my compatriot suddenly collapse dead for no apparent reason? So he gets like, oh, someone must be in the sheriff's office. He goes in there. He sees it's it's Amy. Um, of course, I don't know that he would necessarily know that that's Will's wife. I don't think he'd have any reason to know that. He's just like, a no. lady's in here. So <laughs> hostage time. Um, so he kind of drags her out into the middle of, uh, into the road and is like, Will, you better get out here or I'm going to, you know, shoot her. So then they kind of have their final confrontation where Will comes out and they do the little quick draw and Will is victorious and then is able to make sure that uh, Amy is okay. And what I loved is like the town is empty. Nobody wanted anything to do with this. Soon as it's over, town is bustling people come out of nowhere like nothing happened so he throws his marshal badge down gets on that wagon and gets the fuck out of town a very powerful message in the era of mccarthy yes i was gonna mention that Mm -hmm. that this was apparently a very uh controversial film yeah because of that message and i think one of the interesting things about that message is you know, Amy's a Quaker. She clearly sees something in uh, Will Kane, And the bad guy, Miller, has such a reputation as a killer, but he was turned in alive. And it says a lot about Kane's character. Yeah. And I think it says a lot about how they must have gotten Miller to begin with. And I think it just shows, like, if we just show a united front, we can shut this guy down. And people were just so afraid. Like, Joe McCarthy, right there. As soon as people showed a united front against him in 1954, he died of cirrhosis of the liver two years later. And I I think also speaking to that is the moment in the, when uh, Will Cain goes into the church and is like, I need people and they start bringing up well we pay for deputies i've been saying all along we should have more deputies if i've been paying for this why should i now have to do it and all this kind of thing which is not answering the question he's asked of i need help i technically don't need to be here but i am here to protect you and i just need you to form a united front and help me and they're every other excuse under mm-hmm. the sun to not right. help him mm-hmm. at one point during that that uh, that scene uh becca my wife <laughs> she was watching it with me and uh i marked the time i think it's about 47 minutes there's a guy who says something to the effect of like well i say this we've been paying good money right along for a marshal and deputies now, the first time there's any trouble, we're supposed to take care of it ourselves. Well, what have we been paying for all this time? Becca said, oh, found the libertarian. <laughs> Everybody take a shot. Everybody take a shot. Found, found the, uh, but, um, I loved that scene in the church yeah, with the arguing back and so forth. Because <clears throat> what I thought the, the movie did very nicely to build tension was there were clocks everywhere like they would always show clocks because it was like this guy's coming on the noon train (laughs) so like you're always 
We're short on See, time. Yes, and you're like, every time, it's like, he just needs some people with some guns. You get enough people, you're going to be fine. But everybody is just like, no. And the movie took place close to real time, which was so cool. I was going to say, what didn't it take place in real time? Almost. Like, very close, yeah. but yeah. I loved Gary Cooper's performance in this because with with him, he was cool as a cucumber. Not not cool as a cute, but like stoic together, except for like he has two breakdowns. But for most of the movie, and I think that kind of added to the tension because you're sort of like, you can see him getting tenser and tenser and tenser, yes. but he's not cracking. I thought that was so cool. And when oh, we do yeah. finally see cracks start to form... He's alone in the marshal's office and he lays his head on the desk and something you hardly ever see in a movie of even at this time is you hear him briefly sob. Yes. The breakdown at the desk. It was incredible. Incredible. Like he just, oh, oh it's like. Mm-hmm. And then just. only when he sees the, <laughs> the kid, it kind of snaps him out of it. Like, you got to get the fuck out of here. Kid. Yeah. Because I think it's like at that moment, he's just like, I mean, it, it seemed like he'd been in town a while. He'd been Marshall for a while. And he's like, why did I do all that? Like, you know, for what? And it. And it's like, I've stayed. I have officially run out of time. Yeah. And I could have left. I chose to stay. And now that they're, now that I am out of time, uh, what has, what do I do right. now? What do I do yeah. now? I've given everything up for people who will not yeah. help me. One of the interesting things, threads throughout the movie, is they subtly drop hints that. The town needs to grow, and it needs outside investment. Very subtly, especially you only really see see them start to drop hints at the church scene, and then um, Mm -hmm. Helen really hammers it home by saying, "Like, you want to know why I'm living? Then listen. Cain will be a dead man in half an hour, and nobody's going to do anything about it. And when he dies, this town dies too." And. People in town are so trying to avoid this conflict, just burying their heads in the sand, that now they will get neither. Kane is alive, and the town's going to die anyway. Oh, when he throws that badge down at the end. It's like it's like oh. a stake in the heart of the town. You just know what's going to happen from here on out. Yeah. And he's still wearing mm-hmm. his gun. He doesn't take his gun off. Um, but, like, he throws that star down. And I was almost waiting for him to, like, grind it into the dirt with his foot it's like the only thing that would be the only thing that would make it better see i like the way that he did it because it's just like this is just an object of derision now it's just like yeah like it doesn't mean anything to me anymore like Mm -hmm. apparently john wayne hated this movie (laughs) i wonder why well john wayne also agreed with joe mccarthy he named names didn't he (laughs) yes he did he was a piece of shit i was gonna say if if wikipedia is to be believed um, he was offered the role mm. first um, because he was like, it's an obvious allegory against blacklisting. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and then apparently it was also offered to Gregory Peck. 
Ooh, that would have been good too. That would have been a good choice. And then Marlon Brando, Montgomery Cliff, and Charlton Heston also apparently declined. I feel like Marlon Brando would have just chewed the scenery and ruined it. Gary Cooper, I think what sort of worked about was perfect about him in this role is like, because he is the quintessential cowboy. Yes. And he also has a very everyman character about him in much mm-hmm. the way that Jimmy Stewart does. Yeah. Yes. Like just the way he like looks at things, his mouth slightly open. You can feel a sense of panic. Yeah. Cause it building is the, cause mm-hmm. I, I like that too. Cause we were talking about how he's cool as a cucumber, but it's like, he is walking with like purpose, like a grim purpose. Like he's mm-hmm. like, I know that what I need to ask for is not an easy thing to ask for people to put their lives in danger for me. But it, you know, but it's at the same token, if I don't get this, like, I'm probably going to die. And that but... wonderful shot when time is up and the camera zooms out on the empty street and it's just him. I felt my hands get sweaty. Oh. <laughs> well, and I think what's so horrible, like, that adds to sort of the, the, the feeling of, like, how bad you feel for him and how awful you feel for him and the, the stress that, that's there is at the beginning, he's like, oh, he's coming. Uh, everyone's going to help me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put my badge back on. He thinks the only person who's pushing back against him is Amy, is Grace yeah. Kelly, because she's a Quaker and she's against this. And it's sort of like, once you got married, you were going to give this up. And he's like, until I hear this guy's coming to town. Mm-hmm. And when he's turning to everyone else, he's like, oh, yeah, just like last time, we're going to get 12 to 15 men. We're going to get them together. We're going to go. This is going to be easy. I can deputize a posse. 10, 12 guns is all I need. And then to slowly see a man's faith in his friends and humanity break down over the course of an hour Mm -hmm. to that he's then left in the middle of the street completely alone in every single way possible you can be alone i'm like oh my god yeah and i I was wondering if that was part of the reason i mean i i feel like with amy's character running off of the train like was it the fact that she's like i can't let him die alone in a place where no one like was she getting the understanding that no one was following him or was it just like i love him and i can't let him be alone in this See, I think it's more the latter, A, eh? because the the way the way she acted it out, it seemed very a very very human action. It was just it was less thought and more. I have to go. I can't. I can't. Like you said, I just can't leave him alone. It's the human thing to do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I I would agree with that because she in this movie is very much like him i I, that's probably why they worked well as a couple um the characters Mm -hmm. in the sense that she has this even though something horrible has happened to her like losing her family um she has this belief that you can give up your gun you we can just leave you know all this kind of stuff um but and she's made her point but she really i don't think thinks he's going to be in any real danger until Helen basically talks turkey to her and is like, no, no, honey, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this is this town and this is what's going to happen to him and no one's going to stand with him. And she then is, I can't 
as a, as someone who in, just inherently is a decent human being, I cannot leave him. And um, speaking of Helen and her two amazing um, monologues in this movie, my favorite one was when she was talking to Deputy oh, Harvey. Oh my God, savage, savage. And I'm I'm flailing right now. Holy oh. smoke. Goes on at length, be like, yes, you're you're handsome and you've got good shoulders. You're a good-looking boy. You have big, broad shoulders. But he is a man. It takes more than big, broad shoulders to make a man, Harvey. And you have a long way to go. You know something? I don't think you will ever make it. Bitch, I'm a savage. And just, like, picks him apart. And also, kudos to the cinematographer and, and the direction. Because they make Lloyd Bridges, who always looks like an old man, look like a baby yes uh, yes they mm-hmm. did because he he comes across okay. like i feel like his character was meant to be played by a much younger actor and mm-hmm. but like it it worked it worked so well and i i love when you know she's kind of fed up with him and it's just kind of like yeah you're not a man get it get the hell out of here and he's like well if i leave he has a quote where he's like i won't be back good oh snap Damn, yeah, girl. So. <laughs> it's like yep that's yeah great apply cold water directly to that sick yeah like when Mm -hmm. she's done with him she is like you you may leave my vision like line of sight now good sir (laughs) it's like stop breathing my air right and lloyd bridges looks so young at that point i'm just like all right well fine i'm gonna go home and have my dad teach me how to how to shave right she was just straight up amazing she she was I like I loved how she talked to like when uh Amy's character comes up to co- confront her um that she's she sort of says I if if he were mine I would stay and I fully would I fully believe her that yeah I think she oh, yeah. would yeah I think she recognizes that it's not my place to but I would stay if if he were my husband or my partner or whatever it is. Oh yeah. And then when they're right. when they're taking the little cart to the train, I thought it was interesting. They both look at him, but it's Helen who keeps looking back. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Yes. Like she's the one that makes eye contact and watches him. Mm-hmm. There's just so much to like about this movie. I mean, like, I I. I and there's a reason I've heard of this movie before. It's a great Western, but I think I've also heard heard about it in the context of this is a good movie to teach in a cinema class <clears throat> for obvious reasons. It's like th- mm-hmm. like every cinema class covers High Noon and um, North by Northwest. <laughs> yes. there There is not a boring moment in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is not one moment where I didn't feel engaged with what was going on. Oh, yeah. Interested in what was going on, where um, I wasn't feeling that tension. But I, but it was a good kind of tension. Like, it wasn't... You know how sometimes, like, they'll build... Ten, a movie will build tension just to make you yes. anxious? Oh, yeah. This... It sounds weird to say it was, like, productive tension. Like... Mm-hmm. Excitement. Yes. Like... Mm-hmm. And and I think a big part of that is we didn't see Frank Miller's face 
until like they keep talking about him they talk about how bad of a dude he is how awful he is he's insane he's murdered a guy well, have you forgotten what he is have you forgotten what he's done to people have you forgotten that he's crazy um he's a terrible person he'll kill again right. mm-hmm. but also that like oh we're friends with him too and you know when he was in town the hotel did better business you don't like my husband do you no why? Lots of reasons. One thing, this place was always busy when Frank Miller was around. I'm not the only one. There's plenty of people around here think he's got a comeuppance coming. You ask me, ma'am, so I'm telling you. Mr. Petty. Oh, my God. Face. Uh, <laughs> hotel manager. Um, but when he comes off the train, they still do not let us see his face. We see the back of his head, the back of his hat. And again, he makes eye contact with Helen, uh, and that's when we see him for the first time. And she sort of stares him down, and then gets I him love the, the face she gave him. Like, it was such a like look down your nose kind of steely stare. Like, yeah, you oh, piece yeah. of shit. I'm getting out Holy of here. Smokes. Like. It makes me go, like, they keep calling her Mrs. Ramirez, but there's no Mr. Ramirez. So it sort of makes me go, like, is that part of the history there? They never tell us who Frank murdered. I mean, she is wearing dark clothes. She could be a widower. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. Ah. Mm -hmm. These are are the things I think. Yeah, because they... They did correct people because they'd be like, oh, is Miss Maria, Miss Ramirez in? And they'd be saying Mrs. Ramirez. So they did make a point of saying that. And what I like about this movie, and I think modern Hollywood can learn a lot from this, is not everything needs to be spelled out. And this is an excellent example of how to do that. Not everything is spelled out. It's it's juicy, delicious, concise storytelling. Yeah. All we need to know is that there is history between Frank uh gary cooper and helen right Mm -hmm. that's all we need to know we need to know that he has married this girl who wants him to give up his gun the history we can write our whatever that is specifically we can write ourselves um it's not neat we don't need the specifics exactly and it's just such a lovely middle ground because i feel like you see this so often and so rarely in modern movies i'm sorry it's either like, here's 45 minutes about the birth of Superman, or we're going to tell you so little about the plot that you will have no idea what's going on. Yeah, I was going to say, in a more modern movie, we probably would have added 45 minutes to show, like, Will and Amy's courtship and then uh, Helen's whole history with everybody. And it's like, we really don't need to see that. Like, th- to this movie, the way they structured it to be like, hey, it's... 1045 right now and you've got an hour and 15 minutes to figure this either get the hell out or figure something out what you're gonna do um Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. that is much more effective than you know having this big build up and intro or having a bunch of flashbacks because i was like i feel like they do some flashbacks of like oh like Mm. will and helen like hanging out being lovers or whatever and like no all we just need is that the bitchy hotel guy to be like oh yeah they used to be friends if you know what i mean (laughs) i i also think this movie relied a lot on tropes but at the same time it subverted them Mm -hmm. 
such as the marshal paired with the quote-unquote saloon girl, right? The bad girl. Um, and then you have the schoolmarm girl, right? And that love triangle. Like, we've seen that a million and one yeah. times. But, and then you have the, the bad guy coming to town. And, you know, and usually how these movies go is, you know, he raises the posse and the town comes together and defeats the bad guys and... But this sort of takes those Western tropes and then flips them. Mm-hmm. And it's the town is actually like, well, you know, he's coming back now. Actually, he wasn't so bad, was he? Yeah, he was a murderer and did horrible things. But eh, it was livelier when he was around. Or it's like they've lived long enough in a not shitty town that mm-hmm. they've sort of forgotten how bad it was. Yeah, He's a mighty brave man, a good man. He didn't have to come back here today. And for his sake and the sake of this town, I wish he hadn't. Because if he's not here when Miller comes, my hunch is there won't be any trouble. Not one bit. Yeah, like the one lady in the church was like, What's the matter with you people? Don't you remember when a decent woman couldn't walk down the street in broad daylight? Mm-hmm. And fear is a very powerful motivator, especially oh. once you've had it good. You'll do anything to not mm-hmm. have to risk that. I'm reminded of somewhat of the town in um, Open Range kind of had a similar setup where, you know, they didn't want to confront the the, uh, cattle magnet that was running things. There's plenty of opportunities in the cattle business. Until, you know, our two heroes, Deus Ex Costner, started breaking things up and then everybody reached for their rifle and be like, you know what? Fuck this. But we didn't get that here. People just hid out and was like hoping everything just turns out okay. When really just a, a showing a united front, maybe no one would have had to fire a shot. Well, and also the the idea that they did not expect him to live. Yeah. At yeah. all. They, like, they they made his coffin. <laughs> the moment in the barber shop when he's, um, after he and Harvey have gotten into the fight, mm-hmm. um, which can I just tell you? excellent fist that was a good fight. fist fight mm-hmm. um although i wanted to be like why harvey the, the horses and the and the you're gonna as uh, i yeah. would say get your throat kicked <laughs> yeah. out like can we please <sighs> oh i was waiting for somebody um, somebody's head to get stomped yeah <laughs> um but he so gary cooper kind of walks into the barber shop and the guy is like oh yeah here get let you. me get you all cleaned up whatnot and you hear the hammering in the back room and he's like, can we, like, pause on that for a minute it's annoying. Like, yeah. while he's in here? Right. And then you, you like, step back um, and it, like, there's the sign on the wall that says, like, funeral home or undertaker or something like that. And you're like, because mm-hmm. he's like, oh, yeah, we're just fixing something up in the back. Like, nope. Well, even in the beginning of the movie, when they, when the guy runs into the barbershop saying. How many coffins we got? We're going to need at least two more no matter how you figure it. You better get busy, friend. Three of them will definitely get used. Right. Well, I don't know who's going to be in them, but somebody will be in them. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Even if Kane lives, there'll still be three. And I loved, so when, um, I think one of the first people he goes to is the judge. And the judge is like immediately yeah. packing his shit. And he's giving him, like, and he's so <laughs> flippant about it. He's like, I've been a judge a lot of places. Like, I'm just going to move on. Um, and he's just like, 
you should leave. And, and he's like, no, I got to stay and handle this. He's like, that's really stupid. It's really a waste. You should just go. Like, and he's like, the fuck? Like, the judge is like, yep, nope, get out of here. And I think it's really poignant that he takes the American flag off the wall and folds it up and puts it yep. away. This is for you, Joe McCarthy, you piece of shit. <laughs> Enjoy your stay in purgatory, you worthless sack of dog crap. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Oh, there's so much I want to talk about, though. Should we talk about Lee talk Van about... Cleef now? And how amazing <laughs> yes, he was? let's talk about what a subtle, sharp face he had. So can I read you the par- I don't know if this is true, but can I read you the paragraph about him from Wikipedia? Sure. In this movie? All right. All right, so it says, Lee Van Cleef made his film debut in High Noon. Kramer, I believe one of the writers, first offered Van Cleef the Harvey Pell role. Can you imagine? I would not have worked. Uh, After seeing him in a touring production of Mr. Roberts, on the condition that Van Cleef have his nose surgically altered to appear less menacing. Can you imagine? (laughs) And then it says, Van Cleef refused and was cast instead as Colby, the only role of his career without a single line of dialogue. He made that shit work. Oh, I, I was, I was like, I love that he's just there, that he's, he's just. Ugh. And he's the first thing you so see, good. the first person you see in this movie. See, I had always thought he'd gotten his start with Kansas City Confidential, but that was later in the same year. I thought Kansas City Confidential was 49. I was incorrect. That hell of a debut. I got, that's all I got to say. Oh, my God. Like, mm-hmm. And everyone probably pointed at him and like, that guy, that guy's our goon. He's great. Oh, but, yeah. He, he, he did not need to say anything. To, he's the one goon I remember. The other two kind of blend. But, like, I mean, and he does have very, you know, I feel like distinct facial features. And he just, like, he's got he's got great face. I know we're not at the face yet, but he has amazing face. And he was able to convey a lot with it. I, I'll, I'll give, it, give a hint, though. He is not my face. Oh. But, uh, you know, the, the word that came to mind the first time we really get a, get a good look at him? Mephistopheles. Mm-hmm. All the sharpness, yes. mm-hmm. that little glint in his eye, that mischievousness. Yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. He 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 gonna hurt somebody. So I have a question for all of you. Sure. Because I was thinking about this. You know, we don't meet the bad, the true bad guy until the end, and we have these three goons that are hanging out by the train station that are that are mildly menacing, and we just hear a lot about how bad all these dudes are. Right. About how bad Frank Miller is and all this kind of stuff. But who is the real bad guy in this movie? The mayor. This thing. He's kind mm. of a shit. I was going to say the whole town. <laughs> I, I would agree with you, Amy. I think it's the whole town. Yeah. I think the town itself is the bad guy in that they don't do anything inherently terrible it is not wrong to not want to put yourself in harm's way, yeah. right? Like, 
you know, with a gun, like, I don't want to be in a shootout. I would, well, also, besides the fact that I'd be terrible in right. a shootout. I wouldn't I be any help. use a gun. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but the, the, where, where the sort of evilness creeps in is the ingratitude, the complete and total inaction. Like, they literally do nothing. There's not a, okay, well, he's coming. Well, what are we going to do? Can we prevent him from getting off the train? Can we do this? Can we do that? Can we go ride to the next town over and get more guys? Like, nothing. Nothing is done. It's the attitude of some of the worst people I've ever had to work with, which is, if I ignore it, maybe it'll just go away. Mm-hmm. Or it's it's not my problem. Yeah, like. Mm-hmm. That too. Like, uh, you know. A good man is going to die, and I don't really care, because why should I get involved? And and a man who the only reason he is staying is because the last time this guy came to town, he terrorized it, did terrible things. And we're just going to go along with it, because maybe it won't be so bad this time. They, you know, and that's part of Westerns is that it's like you're isolated. These towns can be isolated, which can call, make them vulnerable to kind of bad, the bad dudes with guns coming in. And it's just like, that's almost like a hurricane coming. You know, like the, the, the cowboy yeah. hurricane mm-hmm. is coming. Like, yes, they exist. They're that, out there. That again... That weather pattern of exactly. cowboys that just travels across the right. plains. Right, it's mysterious and majestic. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, they're just... Just watch out for the dynamite, the spicy oh, salami. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they didn't have any spicy salami this time. Uh, no. But it's like the people who are like, oh, it's a Category 5 cowboy hurricane. Eh, how bad can it be? <laughs> like, Well... Let's not forget the, the, the context in which this movie premiered, 1952. World War II only ended, was it, like seven years earlier. So mm-hmm. there's clear echoes of, look, let's not antagonize Frank Miller. Let's not antagonize Hitler. Maybe if you just leave. Maybe if we just give him what he wants. Maybe if we just ignore it, it'll end. He's his own worst enemy after all. And weren't things better before? Yeah, I think they were. Was it was it really so bad? Yeah, I think they're like, Mm. well, what he wants is to kill this guy. Let's just let him kill this guy. (laughs) Let's just hand over Czechoslovakia. What's the worst that can happen? So, yeah, I and I think that, again, is what makes this movie really work. And the fact that it's not. Frank Miller is already there and like just in the saloon and is like, we're going to meet at, at high noon and have this duel. It's that he's not there yet. We don't see him. We only hear about him because then that allows we, and I would ask like, what is, what is, he doesn't really do anything all that bad in the movie. Uh, Well, other than the ultimate crime of setting a barn on fire with horses in it. But (laughs) You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and holding uh, Grace Kelly hostage, but we don't see him act zany. We don't see him act crazy. We don't see him do any of that kind of stuff. He's not like the Joker shows mm-hmm. up, right? It's it's he's menacing in the way that uh, when you hear a severe thunderstorm approaching in the summertime, 
you hear the it it's, could be bright and sunny and a blue sky out, but you still hear those distant rumbles of thunder. Yeah. But he he's like a blink and you miss him. Yeah, you know, for for the amount of time that he's in the movie, which allows the town to become this like horrible, amorphous, awful thing um, that allows that focus to be there, even though the trope of the bad guy coming to town is present. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I read uh, looking up this movie, I read that audiences at the time were disappointed in the casting for Frank Miller because they felt like it was like he's you know Frank Miller's built up through the whole movie and they they make a point to not show you who he is to like the very last moment and they were expecting it to be some like more famous actor um which you know I guess I could see that like if you were to make it nowadays and they did that and it was like some relative unknown actor I might be a little bit like that's it like <laughs> that's Frank Miller all right uh but I feel like it works um yeah because i'm like out of context i'm like i couldn't tell you if he was relative that guy was relatively well known back then or not he was ian mcdonald he was in a bunch of movies for a long time like he's not really anybody big in anything and that's fine in my book i think it makes it better Mm -hmm. that he's that he's built up to be this larger than life guy and he's just a joe schmo schmuck like that even makes it worse that the town is like, oh, he's this horrible person. He's terrible. He's terrible. And he gets off the train. It's like, no, he's a, he's, he's a just, bully. A, he's a bully. And he's a, he's a, he's a drip. Like, and I got to wonder if that was also on purpose and a subtle, like, uh, poke at Joe McCarthy, but like, this guy's nobody. If we just stand up to him, mm-hmm. he, he, he's a, he's nobody. Joe McCarthy ultimately was nobody. Because it's like they do make a point in the beginning because it's like if he was really that bad of a guy, how did you arrest him <laughs> alive? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have one complaint about this movie. Go for it. And I, and I think it dates it is that there are times where they're building up the tension and that early 50s movie music comes in. I'm like, OK, guys, come on, tone it down. When... Yeah, the, the motif of the ballad playing all the way through. <laughs> There are certain points where I'm like, can you not have the the ballad, or you can you not have these orchestrals, and maybe just have that kind of like ticking like tone, or or nothing at all. So not everything can be the ballad of Cat Baloo. And I think <laughs> I think part of it is we just didn't have the dulcet tones of Nat King Cole singing, no. <laughs> or Ennio Morricone doing the music, right. I will say I did love that the ballad kind of kept yes. repeating. All I did like I that, that motif a that that was yes. there. The, and that's that's the only thing that keeps it from being a perfect movie in my book. Is just the music is just a little much. But other than that, oh. that didn't bother me. I really enjoyed. I mean, I don't know. I feel like that ballad. It is an older style song, but I really liked it, and I liked it coming back. Um, cause it was kind of, you know, the don't forsake me and that's kind of what's happening and, to him the whole movie. And also where you, you hear the, one of the refrains is what will I do? What will I do? What will I do if you leave me? Yeah. And I was well, like, oh, oh. <laughs> and I like when they go into the saloon, it becomes jaunty, mm-hmm. but it's the same song. 
Yeah, uh, I like that. Well, I, I, I have learned something new right now. Do you want to know a fun fact about Her Royal Highness Princess Grace of Monaco, Nay Kelly? Yes. Yes. She was from Philadelphia. Yes, she was. She got engaged in one of the hotels. Um, oh, gosh. I used to drive past it ages ago in former life as a tour guide on a big bus. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, she got engaged to him in, in the hotel. And I used to drive past her family home when I wild. was teaching up in um, East Falls. That is absolutely wild. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then she was the princess consort of a small European state. Gotta love it. Can we talk about her character a little bit? Yes. Sure. Like, we talked about Helen, um, played by Katie... Ooh, I'm gonna butcher this last name. Uh, Horado. Horado, yes. No notes for her. Amazing. Mm. Loved her. I... I find... I... I sort of... I had... So I've only seen this movie once before. In its entirety, and I, I kind of remembered that they were okay at the end, but I could, I didn't, I forgot that she shot the guy in the back. Um, what, what did you all think about her? Like, uh, like, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I, I liked her. I mean, I liked Helen a lot more. I think her character was mm-hmm. stronger, but I really liked. It's like she had a similar strength of character, but it was a lot quieter. Because she didn't say a lot, and I kind of liked that she was so firm in her, like, she made him promise that he would hang up being a marshal, and he was ready to do that, and then she was going to stand, like, she was not just going to roll over when he's like, oh, I'm going to get back on my marshal bullshit. She's like, no, (laughs) like, I'm not here for that. You promised. But, and she did it in not an annoying way. I feel like you get a different actress in there playing it a little larger and it comes across as like petulant and I want my way. And she Mm -hmm. was more like, no, this is not the life I want. And if you insist on doing that, then I'm going to go. And I think what added to that was she, she was like, we have time to get away. You do not have to stay. Um, we will keep moving to get away from him. Um, you this is toxic masculine like you do not need to stay Um, however as kane does point out there we cannot get that far away in an hour right and he doesn't have any weapons Um, i would almost wonder like with him not in the town and him having left would frank miller have gone after him or would frank miller have been like well the town's mine now i chased him out of town Considering how petty this guy is, consider the fact, like, he's retiring. He may have probably heard that while he was in jail, because clearly his own goons in town are keeping him abreast of things. Like, yeah, Kane's still here, da 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 mm-hmm. That's a pretty petty yeah. move. Like, your enemy is picked up and moved away. Well, I'm just going to move into your stead. I'm going to take things over. <laughs> but, I, but I agree with you, Amy. I don't think... She had the gravitas and also this sense of, like, even though she looked very childlike, they gave her that very doll-like, mm-hmm. innocent kind of the way she was dressed, the way she looked. Um, but it was very much, no, I 
I'm not, I am not a Quaker and a pacifist just because I'm a Quaker and a pacifist. No, I'm a Quaker. I have a reason. Right. Right. I believe a legitimate this. reason. In my heart of hearts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Helen is like, respect. I loved that mm-hmm. too. Like yeah. when she was going to go up to visit Helen, I was like, uh, how's this going to go? Um, and I, I was like, I love the mutual respect that's that's found. Like it wasn't played for like jealousy's sake to get two ladies fighting over the same guy. It was very much two women who, you know, are coming to at life from different perspectives and different angles and they both kind of learn a thing or two from each other. And the fact that they became friends yes. Uh, friends like in that oh we're gonna get in the wagon together and we're gonna get to the train and you're gonna stay up here in the room with me so that you will be Mm -hmm. safe Mm -hmm. and i think like grace kelly was a good was a great pick because i think a, a lesser actress would have fallen into the tropes too hard and would have fallen into the kind of things you see in a lot of 50s films. Probably like yes. back of the, the hand swooning. the forehead and that sort of th- the swooning, but she plays it so so very alive. The the moment where she sees the gun and is like making the decision to use it. Mm-hmm. That no one he is alone. I cannot let him be alone. Mm-hmm. And she, when when the shot happens, and he's like, "Who shot?" They're all like, "Who shot this guy?" And she's just there with the gun through the like, window. Oh my god! Yeah. Like, and she and she's holding it competently, as opposed to like, like mm-hmm. nervously, like up close, like that, like close to the body. She's just, you know, like a, like a you th- would see in a film noir. Mm. She mm. she says a thing, she does mm-hmm. a thing, and I respect that about her. Yeah, I like that. Like it, and I think that's why I liked it because I feel like she's supposed to be the innocent character and they usually kind of make that a kind of like wishy-washy like like waif almost an ingenue sometimes. yeah 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 mm-hmm. like oh i don't know how to do anything but it's like this is a woman who lives on the frontier like i'm sure she's seen mm-hmm. and she does say she has seen a thing or two in her time like she is not this like oh i was born two days ago into the <laughs> Like, and I don't know how anything how? works. Right, school mom, I, fresh off the train from back I, east. Yeah, like, I got on this train. I don't know how. Why do I have all these dresses? No idea. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> my shoes are all dirty. I'm ah. super cute and I need a big, strong man to <laughs> help me. <laughs> Folksy laughing. Right, like, I'm going to get on a horse and buggy that's going to go crazy till some man takes the reins and assists me. <laughs> Well, now we're talking about Back to the Future Part 3. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have a fun fact about Gary Cooper and Grace Kelly in this movie. Okay. So, um, so Gary Cooper was 50. Grace Kelly was 21. Uh, the character of Will Kane, can I would like each of you to guess how old his character was supposed to be. 30. Stu, what do you think? 45. Mel gets it. He's supposed to be 30. I was like, damn, he looks pretty hard for 30. Seriously? That's cute. That's cute. That's cute. No, not even a little bit. Yeah, because he... Not even a little bit. He looks like her dad. (laughs) Yes, he does. He's certainly old enough to to be. Yeah, yeah. And yet, I sort of found it believable 
for like if this was an old west like yeah yeah yes eight that's not that's 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 kind of not an okay age gap um and lon cheney jr who's supposed to be the older retired he's younger than him he in (laughs) what's he's younger than gary cooper yeah he was younger than gary cooper by like five years my god um but it but i think what also kind of worked about this is you know he's the older marshal who never thought he was going to settle down and then is settling down with this young woman who you know has lived life yeah. and you know it in a way it works but yeah no it's kind of yeah like, if oh, you boy. think about it too hard i mean to me it's like you get that suspension of disbelief from this being a movie and you're like okay and it, it's fine you know it was a little awkward in the beginning it, that like that first like kiss they have. I'm like, all right, I'm not into that, but okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm not into it at all. It also doesn't hurt that uh, Lon Chaney was born looking like an old football that's been left out. <laughs> yeah, there. yeah. Uh, did anyone else uh, also spot um, baby Harry Morgan? Yes, baby, baby with, Colonel Potter oh my with, gosh. with that crisp mustache. <laughs> And and also baby Jack Elam from uh, yeah. from support your local sheriff as the drunk right. <laughs> the drunk um, in the drunk tank. Nice. I was like, look at that! Look look at him when he was but a tiny tadpole before he'd grown into a real frog. Yes, <laughs> he was just he was just a baby. Coot. Yes, exactly. Yes, <laughs> his eyes looking off in two different directions like a like a like a chameleon, mm-hmm. looking yep. looking for the saloon. Is the saloon open? Get out of here. (laughs) I love that. Like, do you know if it's open? Get the fuck out of here, buddy. I just let you out of jail. (laughs) Get the the fuck out of here, buddy. Are we ready for some segments? Let's do it. I want to start with the costume corner. Okay. Because I feel like this also, this is the other thing that dated the movie. No, I was okay with yes. the costumes. They were they were Western costumes. Yeah. Right. If this movie was in color, it would have been bright and Technicolor and you know all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that while there was some modernness, particularly to some of the townmen towns people's suits and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Also, in particularly, baby Harry Morgan's wife's hair was right. so fifties. Oh my was god, fifties so housewife! I thought, the, I, I thought it was oh Mamie Eisenhower. <laughs> oh my god! Um, but uh, everyone, they everything looked lived in. People were sweaty. There was no hat too small. No, nary a hat um, too small. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about the women, and then I want to talk about Gary Cooper's outfits, because I, I mm, outfit. Yes, okay. yes, yes. So I love how they dressed Helen, right? I loved that we see her in a dressing gown, a beautiful dressing gown, because she's just sort of ha- having her morning with Harvey, and they've been having a good time, as she should. Living her best life. She apparently owns half the town. Mm-hmm. Um she looks great her and then she gets the hair and the low chignon and um, then she transitions into the dress the dark dress with the sheer blouse and the bustier but she's still she's still on the line of sophisticated not um yeah she looks great she looks beautiful she's not uh 
Miss Boobs right. McGee. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, Selma. They didn't Selma Hayek this one up. <laughs> no, they didn't. Poor Selma Hayek. Selma, we, we love do. you. Yeah, we <laughs> deserve so much more. It's not your fault. It is not we your love fault. You. We love you so much. Um, but I did hate the skirt that she had. I didn't think it looked good. It, it was cut weird. I didn't like it. Um, but loved her hair. Loved everything about her. I loved her traveling suit. She, no notes for her. Um, and her makeup also is oh, fabulous. Amazing. With her eyebrows and oh, her lips. Oh, beautiful. Gorgeous. Um, Grace Kelly, beautiful woman. Like, she's just one of the most beautiful women who's ever lived. Stunning. Um, she, again, looked like a China doll, which worked. And I Googled Quaker wedding dresses from the 1800s <laughs> just oh. out of curiosity because I, I was thinking, like, I I didn't feel she was plain enough to be a Quaker. But apparently what came up kind of looked like what she was wearing. So I was like, okay. Um, but I, I loved the little bonnet hat she had on. And I loved how she sort of lost that as the movie went on. Um I loved that she's in her wedding dress through the whole movie. Um, and then, of course, they did the thing where Helen is in dark colors. She's in light colors. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm like, that we could have left behind. Um, but I thought she looked great. But Gary Cooper. Okay. Mm. He's in his wedding suit. He's got the string tie. He's got the hat. And he starts out the movie clean and neat and pressed. Um, and as this, the movie goes on and the tension builds, he doesn't show the worry in his face, in his movements. It's all shown the tie gets undone, the shirt gets undone, he gets progressively dirtier, he gets progressively sweatier, the costume sort of like breaks down till he's at the end when he's like completely undone and he's a mess and even after the barber like fixes him up he's still a mess um and that is where like all of his worry is manifesting is in his clothes and i was like yeah, was yes great. i love this yes the way you're building it is like he's by the end of the movie he's completely nude covered in mud <laughs> shit in his hair the twigs and sticks in every direction He's just gone fully feral. Yeah. He's just uh, rambling incoherently. Foaming at the mouth. <laughs> but but the thing is, he's not only his clothes are. His clothes have gone feral. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I I enjoyed I enjoyed that that mm-hmm. that he he didn't do the thing of I'm gonna go into the gunfight, I'm gonna fix myself up, and I'm gonna go out there and face this as like someone who is put together he's put together in the beginning he is not put together at the end and it's that just they didn't have time mm-hmm. there's no time and no in addition to that like his his facial expression goes from like like that that chin solidly set like we're gonna we're gonna take this on it's not gonna be easy but we can do this to like you all said just sweaty mouth slightly open he's you know, the same scene where the, the camera zooms out onto him. It almost looks like he doesn't know what to do with his hands. No. And his his vest is unbuttoned. His shirt. He's lost his tie. He's wearing the hat on the back of his he's head. He's got a tear in his... Um, oh, does he have the tear yet? In his sleeve. Yeah. He, well, he gets shot and then he yeah, has the, the that's tear right. in his sleeve. 
Um, but that he he looks like he looks like Bruce Willis's character at the end of <laughs> Die Hard. Um, Oh, when he's cro- die hard, when yep. he just yeah, like, it's like he has been through the yes. shit, <laughs> yes, through the ring. Yes, mm-hmm. that's what he looks like when he gets when he gets to the gun. It's very compelling, and and then and then when he drops the the star, yeah, oh, and he puts all the stars in his pocket, oh. Oh. and then no one takes them, yeah, yeah, but yeah. But that's that's tough, my tough, tough. That's my thought. I thought it was a. There was a great visual story with what he was wearing that did a lot for telling us because he doesn't he never really tells us how he's feeling. The way he is dressed shows us how. He's yes. Feeling. Oh, yes. And it was a, it was just a great visual story. Again, doing a lot without saying a lot. And I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I love it. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, let's do the saloon search. I think we had a simple, solid saloon in the uh, Ramirez Saloon. It was just, it was a small, intimate 19th century saloon, glass behind the bar, several pictures of uh, curvy 19th century ladies in various stages of undress, and the platonic ideal of late 19th century bartender. I oh loved God. him. He had the perfect hair, <laughs> like perfectly combed. Oh my and God. his like little twirled mustache. Yes. There was so much pomade in his hair. If I could sink a well in there, I'd retire. <laughs> he was amazing. Holy shit. I loved him. It's the guy from the Pringles can brought it to is. life. It is. Yes. <laughs> it is. The oh Natty Bow guy's brother. Exactly. There he is. Well, there was more than one bartender that looked That's like true. that. So it was Natty Bo, Natty Bo's brother, the guy from the Pringles yeah. can, and even uh, Uncle Money. Yeah, there you go. Right. Whatever Monopoly the heck his man. name is. Before he went gray, yeah. <laughs> Various degrees of, of curl and droop in the mustache. And, Everything and you the want outfit. In a bartender. Like he had the little like yeah. apron thing or like the shirt and the yeah, I was like, dang. I would, I would say not not everything I want in a bartender because he was a shit. Yes, he was a shit. He was a shit. <laughs> I should say visually oh, everything yeah. you want in a bartender. Visually, yes. 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 He had the he had the yes. look down pat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it just was like a simple bar, not ostentatious. Everything's behind the bar. A wide variety of liquors to pick from. Beer on tap. They advertised Pabst out front. Get yourself some blue ribbon. I I would say I wouldn't drink in that bar. I'll tell you why. Okay. It was full of shitheads. Yeah. This is one of those old west towns that are just full of shitty people. Like, oh, you hate to see exactly. it. You, you hate to see it. Yeah. You. It's like, that's a fine saloon. But look, look, honey. Shitheads. <laughs> In, yeah, their natural, you, you, in their natural habitat. I wanted to be like, you ruined it. You ruined <laughs> yeah. it by being right. terrible. I can't buy Pringles Stop now. Stop being I mean, an asshole. Like, it's not hard. It's not mm-hmm. hard. Like, I just wanted a drink, and instead I got this bullshit. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why are you like right. this? There's no need. I would drink at that bar long enough to make Deputy Harvey feel bad and be like, hey. Uh, you're a little baby boy, and you should feel ashamed of yourself. So we we didn't talk really about the fist fight. We should talk about the fist fight. What do you all think about that? That he's why is he 
Why do you, what do you think is his motivation to get Will Kane on the horse to get him out of town? Do you think it's to prove to everyone that Will Kane is a coward so that they stop calling him a coward? Or do you think it's because he feels so bad for not helping him, he's trying to get him the heck out of town? It's a cowardly act no matter which way you go yeah. about it. He's either trying to protect Kane by either making him look like a coward, or he's taking the coward's way out by beating his former employer. To me... Which, I've haven't we all had dreams well, about Well, I that? mean, no, who hasn't? Mm. <laughs> to me, it was more... I mean, and he was... He was drunk as a skunk, so I don't know that he was necessarily thinking straight, but I think his motivation there was to make Will Kane look like a coward, and so that then no one could blame him for not fighting, to be like, oh, well, nobody wants to fight this guy. Yeah, yeah that sense of, you all keep calling me a boy, that I'm not a man, that I should be like him... Which is also ironic because, again, no one will help him. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, have you seen Lloyd Bridges? He always looks like he's 45. (laughs) (laughs) But somehow in this, he looked like He did. I know. That was impressive. Uh, Yeah. uh, Straight up. And then is it also like if I get you to leave town, then Helen will take me back because now this will prove to her that you're not a man. And I'm the manliest of men. Because I punched Mm -hmm. him. This is not at all a dick measuring contest. Please, Please don't ask. Yeah. yeah, but I was very happy when he got punched in the. Oh face. yeah, and then he and then had water, old horse water poured oh, on him. It was probably full of so much drool. Oh yeah. Oh no doubt. Oh yeah, I'm sure oh. it was pleasant. Mm. How about how about the coot watch? After all, he's not a bad old coot. I have a couple coots. I have a few coots. Uh, early in the film, we had two what I call porch coots. Comment. Oh, I called them that nice. too. Me too. Yes. Comment on the, the telegraph guy running down and they're like, we might have passed for a Sunday. That was my coot. Yeah, yeah those were my yeah. coots. Yeah. I, I would say that they, that the train station guy who they were commenting on was also a coot. Yes. Oh, yeah. Just running on down the right, street. Right. Like, I got a telegram. I got to, I got to get it there as quick as possible. Wait, it, it's the 19th century. Surely there's a boy running around. You'd be like, boy, boy, like, you know, take, take this nickel, small take child, this message into take town. this to the marshal. <laughs> <laughs> but because you're right, only a coot would run through town like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, that was that was the first coots I saw in the film. Um, I also counted the hotel clerk. I called him the bitchy hotel coot. I don't know how coot like he was. He was tangentially, but just the fact that he did not give a shit. <laughs> he wasn't a coot. He was a ghoul. Yeah, I would. I would not put him. He looked like a coot, but he did not act like one. No. <clears throat> yeah, he was to me very borderline, and I just wanted to call him out because I was like, if he wasn't so mean spirited, he probably would have been a coot. Here, let mm-hmm. me let me let me check the reference book yeah, here. Yeah, check your uh, for American coots, coots annually. Oh, it says right here he's a shit heel. Ah, yes. <laughs> ah, yes. The southwestern shit heel. Okay. Well, you know, hey, nope. mark it down <laughs> if you if you want to. And then I had the the posse coot, the uh, the 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 coot with the eye patch who was like, "Let me get in on the oh. action." I want a gun. I want to be with you when that train comes in. Can you handle the guns? Sure, I can. I 
I used to be good. Please, just one more time. Just let me do it. Make the Shelts of Shiloh go away. But why do it you ain't want... just getting even. It's a chance. See, it's what I need. Please, Kane. Let me get in on this. I felt so bad in that moment. Like, the only people willing to help him are this this poor man who clearly has the DTs. Yes. Yeah. And only one eye. Yes. <laughs> Who's seen uh, some shit. Mm-hmm. He's willing to help him, and the 14-year-old child is willing to help him. And it's like, no. Oh, no, no, no Mel. He's 16 and big for his age. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, like, Gary Cooper has to look, like, crane right. his neck over to see like, this kid. hello, tiny child. No, you can't have Which, a gun. It doesn't help that, like, Gary Cooper's, like, three stories yeah, he's tall. tall man. Oh, my God, right? Boats for feet. Yeah. Um. So, did you have the coffin coot? Oh, I missed the coffin coot. Oh, yeah. The one who comes running through the barber shop, telling the barber and them that, oh, these guys just rode into town. And then the barber, who I think was also displayed some coot-like behavior, tells him to go start building coffins in the back. Yeah, yeah. And then I just have to put out there for our baby coot, you know, the Eldridge coot, uh, Mm -hmm. Jack Elam. (laughs) Just gotta. Oh, he's yeah. gonna emerge from the, his cocoon. The, the the payoff of him being drunk in the cell, asleep for the whole movie, having no clue what is going on. Oh, not a hint. And then being kicked out. Bec- and the did also anyone catch the jail wasn't even locked. He just opened. Oh yeah, it. no. Like, oh, time to go. He's like, oh, okay. Could have left any <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah. And he's drunk <laughs> off his ass. And the first thing he asks is, "You don't happen to know if the saloon's open, do you, Will?" I said, "Go home, Charlie." Yes. Like Charlie, get out yes. here! <laughs> Belt loop, back of the shirt, out right. the door. Like I'm doing you a favor, kid. Get out. Oh, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely love the porch coots because I endeavor one day to be a porch. Yeah, coot. and they didn't move through the whole movie. Nope, they, they were, were just there, there. Yeah. smoking, just sitting. Holy smokes! Uh, how about how, how about your postcard? What you got? Oh, you guys go first. This was hard. So there was so many to pick from, particularly like him alone on the street, all of that kind of stuff. Um, uh, her with the gun, like, but I don't know what it was about when the train pulls in, is coming towards, and the three goons, Lee Van Cleef and the two other guys, are putting their spurs on and checking all their stuff. And it's like the three mm. of them in sort of like a staggered, staggered in heights like there, there's like one close one in the middle and like one but they're like stacked in on diagonals something about that moment of them checking their spurs and doing that and getting ready it's like the first time we've seen them not languid and it was like oh like the trains come in they're finally suddenly they've been drinking they've been lounging they've been just chilling Suddenly it's like, oh no, Bit shit's about to go down. It's like watching a baseball player limber up before going up to bat. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like, yes. oh, he going to knock the cover off it. Mm-hmm. Like, checking the spurs, checking the guns, like, we're about to go. Mm-hmm. I had a couple. Um... I really liked the shot we kept returning to of just the train tracks empty going into the distance. It was like every couple of scenes you would just, it would linger just on the train tracks to kind of remind that like, Hey, as soon as that train starts coming, 
it's all downhill from there. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I thought it, it helped kind of raise the tension because you're like, is this this? Are we going to see it? Like, is this the scene we're going to see yeah. it? <laughs> uh, A plume of smoke on the horizon. Right, right. Because you see it go all the way out into the distance, like to the horizon, and, and nothing. Do we do we hear the train first? I can't remember. See, I don't think I don't think we did. I don't think we see it until it's like a, a, a visually approaching. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoyed that. And then kind of my silly postcard moment, but it brought me so much joy. I have to, I have to do it is the very first close up on Lee Van Cleef's face <laughs> in the very beginning. And I was like, look at baby <sighs> Lee Van Cleef, lad Van Cleef. So that's, those are my postcard moments. Mm. What about you, Stu? And mine is decidedly where we see it's like, it's like the very first shot of the film, these rolling hills, the sparse trees, the scrubby grass, and a lone rider, and that high contrast black and white. And I was like, mm, it's tasty. It's beautiful. Oh, mm-hmm. give me some beef jerky. It looked really good. It was a beautiful movie. And it was a movie that didn't rely on vistas. It didn't need no. to, no. Which I appreciated. It. Much like um, My Darling Clementine, you... Like we talked about in that one, like, oh, it, like you could you could tell that this air is cool and crisp and beautiful mm-hmm. in this one. You could feel the heat. You could feel the dust like it was so it didn't need oh, all yeah. that because it was what it was. Right. It just gives you just enough of a vista just to set the mood. And then you're, mm-hmm. th- that's all you yeah. need. Yeah. Finally, probably the most difficult discussion of all our segments today. Who brought the face? He happens to be a sweet-looking dude. I'm going to go with Gary Cooper. Um, Gary Cooper. Because, I mean, I think just throughout the movie, he just had excellent face. You know you know me. I wanted to give it to Lee Van Cleef, but I just couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. Sorry, Lee. <laughs> Next time. Next month. Yeah. The next three episodes are yours. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) February is Lee Van Cleef month. Um, But (laughs) it's a -a bot-a-thon. But, I mean, just his facial expression as it, you know, it's so subtle. But the way that you can tell, especially that scene when he, he, the one sob, he only sobs the one time in his office. I was like. I I just thought it was very powerful what you could see in his face, like the desperation. It was, it was so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So quiet, subtle, and heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the bo- like the bottom has. Yeah, because there's like he's like there is nothing I can do. I am all I've lost everything in this moment. I have nothing. There is one face uh, that Gary Cooper does that I want to blow up and have a post framed poster on my wall. It's ever so brief. It's after Miller comes to town and he sneaks up behind him and just like picks off one of the goons right off. And we see him half covered in darkness, half in light. And he's just, there's sweat, the, the br- the brim of the hat. And I'm like, Oh, that's so fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Just like all the wrinkles and lumps in Cooper's face. I feel like he needed he needed that sort of hangdog face mm-hmm. for that character. Oh, absolutely. That's why I was kind of like, uh, I know this is a really upsetting age gap, but like 
he needs to look like that. Yeah, it's like they probably should have gotten either made Grace Kelly look older or gotten an older actress to make it a mm-hmm. little less <laughs> bizarre. My face, so I couldn't decide between Lee Van Cleef, specifically the opening of the movie. Amazing. Which I'm sorry. Like, oh. I know. Like, <laughs> that happens and you're like, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're good yeah. guys. This is going to so be so strong. Um, uh, and Helen in the, when she's in the wagon looking back at him going to that the train. That was awesome. Uh, just, just, well, everything she did was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but that moment when she's, she's leaving and she she knows she has to leave for her own safety she knows there's nothing she can do to help him and that moment of goodbye like this is it yeah like i wish i could have had your girl stay with you i tried like if if you'd have stayed Um, with me i'd be there with you but mm -hmm. here we are yeah and in this moment i'm sort of taking your girl to make sure she's safe but like buddy i i got nothing yeah. i don't know what to do right. for you yeah got nothing just powerful. it was uh so very, good very much so how do we want to rate this uh thing? uh six out of six i feel like this is a classic enough that everyone should watch it yeah six out of six it's it's that good. yeah i like when i think of westerns i think of this like movie. i will watch mm-hmm. this again <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Um, I'm going to give it 5.75. Like I said, the music was just what kept me from going. And, you know, maybe I'll reflect on it and come back to it. But I will be So, Amy, I think we need to kick Stu out of the podcast again. (laughs) You didn't give six out of six to Tombstone. (laughs) I didn't. I didn't. I will say I think High Noon is a better movie than Tombstone. I said it. How dare you? I said it. The women's parts were better. Agreed. Agreed. But what I like too is like this was not a long movie, but it, it didn't feel short and it didn't feel long. So it was yeah. good. It was real good yeah, shit. It's worth it. And if you like modern westerns and you don't know how to break into the more classic ones, this is a perfect entry point. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like this and stagecoach. Oh yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. So there you have it. Watch high noon. You will probably have a good time. You will definitely yes. have a good time. You will have fun. <laughs> I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, if, if you like the show, please leave us a five-star iTunes review. Uh, four is acceptable, but if you do five, we will read your uh, screen name on the air, and Amy will write a haiku. I will. And, I'll help. Uh, you can also reach out to us at cowpunchersshow at gmail.com. Um, again, thanks for listening. I am, as always, the deputy, Stu Kaufman. I'm still waiting for that train. I'm Amy McLeod. And all of the horses lived. My name is Melissa Huggins. Y'all watch yourselves out there on the trail. Yeah! I want to go back to Caballero Night. Like, again, they're also shitheads, but they're fun. <laughs> <laughs>